1: Welcome to Pitch, Connecting Storytellers with the World. I'm Leah St. Marie.
0: And I'm Angel.
1: And today we have a special guest with us, uh, Larry LeBeau. And I have a bio that he gave me. Um, So Larry is co-founder and executive director of New Filmmakers Los Angeles. And he's going to talk all about that on the podcast today. It's an organization championing filmmakers and storytellers worldwide. Uh, Larry's also a member of the Producers Guild of America and has been a faculty member at the San Francisco Art Institute and L. Art University. He's a board member of B.R.I.C. Foundation and Film Festival Alliance and is a committee member of, oh, I don't know this one, SAG Indie, that's so cool. Uh, Larry's produced content directed by talent such as Joseph Gordon-Levitt for some of the world's leading brands, networks, and studios, including Disney, NBC. Um, Is it pronounced Vivo?
2: Yep, you got it.
1: Awesome. Daily Motion, MTV, Defy Media, Comedy Central, Verizon, Amazon, Complex Media, Mountain Dew, Samsung, Coca-Cola, Verizon, and Smuckers. And these productions have been official selections at top festivals, including South by Southwest, and have won major awards, including Banff World Media Festival Rocky Award. Welcome, Larry.
2: Oh, thank you so much. You make that sound so impressive. I love it. It is impressive.
1: (laughs) It is impressive. And you should um, have all of your dinners include a bio like that when you walk through the door, (laughs) like how they used to announce um, royalty. (laughs)
2: <laughs> right, my my dinners, my dinners with a bio like that and a and a can of Mountain Dew, oh, perfect, like a true American. <laughs> yeah. So,
1: I've I've been thinking about different questions to ask to make sure that the interview isn't too much of the same as the interviews that I've listened to you. And I have a challenge. Are you ready?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Up
1: for it. Can you pitch new filmmakers, LA? in one minute or less.
2: Absolutely, yeah. We are a nonprofit organization, so there in that alone, you should be excited, right?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, And as you said in your opening line in my bio, we are an organization that supports emerging filmmakers from all around the world throughout the year. Um, We have education programs, workforce development programs, diversity and inclusion programs. We work with young, very early career filmmakers as young as high school. Uh, We work with mid-career filmmakers. We bring all kinds of opportunities from cash to product, to services, to the hardest one of all, access to industry professionals. Um, And we have something for everybody. We have public facing monthly film festivals. Um, So something for everybody as in both audiences uh, filmmakers alike, as well as industry professionals. And I think, you know, a place for those who are looking to just sort of bridge relationships in the industry overall. So in short, that's definitely, I think, under a minute. And that's how I would kind of intro us. Well done. That well was done.
1: incredible. Well, well done. And I have now I have so many more questions.
2: I
0: have a, I have a question, too. I want to I want to ask about Larry, why do you think the most difficult resource to access for new and mid-career filmmakers
2: are connections, our relationships in this industry? What, I think what plays into that? I think there's just a lot of talent out there. Um, I think there's a lot of really talented people who have something to say. And I think there's a lot of really talented people who are saying something very important. And I think our industry is, is one media, entertainment, arts, culture. Um, it's one that I think is attractive to almost anybody and everybody consumes what this industry creates. Um, and so I think there's a lot of competition, unfortunately. Um, and I think that getting people's attention, whether it's audiences or the gatekeepers is really difficult. Um I think it's especially difficult to get attention from audience or from industry uh, if you're not making a lot of money already, or you are not being recognized by one of the go-to sort of, you know, organizations or entities. Um, You know, let's say you get shortlisted for an Academy award, right? You're going to be paid attention to you have a screenplay rise to the top of the blacklist. You're going to be paid attention to, right? Those are going to give you those kinds of, opportunities to at least shoot your shot but i feel you know those opportunities are pretty far and few in between um and so you've either got to come with that validation or making that money already and i think that's the challenge with with industry and i think for audiences it's just you know turn on any one of your 12 streaming services and you've got uh, a banquet of like amazing content to watch and now more than ever Um, you know, it used to be a lot more unique that you could come to a film festival, you can come to an, to an event like new filmmakers LA and you could see stuff from anywhere in the world. But now, um, with, you know, movies, uh, movies like parasite winning best picture and squid games, the most popular show on Netflix and, you know, content really going global. I think, you know, there's, there's even more than there ever was before, at least for audiences in the U S yeah.
1: And the way that New Filmmakers Functions, it has, to me, and tell me if I'm wrong, just several different programs and arms of it that are reaching out into the industry to help filmmakers.
2: You said it better than I could say it myself. So it's, you know, I like to, in in popular culture, I like to explain it this way. When you say Sundance, Mm -hmm. everybody thinks of Sundance, the festival. Most people don't think of Sundance Institute, the organization behind the festival. So most people associate the name Sundance Film Festival. If you asked popularly around Los Angeles, what is New Filmmakers LA? A lot of people would say the same thing, a festival, right? Um, the festival is only one of the many, many, many programs that we do throughout the year. Um, we have a content development program with Warner Brothers Discovery, which in 2021, gave out a hundred thousand dollars in actual cash funds for development wow. of projects. That gave away fifty thousand last year. That's um, great. Yeah, we have a TV writers program with stars, which is for those wanting to enter uh, and be staffed in a writers room on premium cable. Um, and so, yeah, we do we do a lot of programs throughout the year, and the festival definitely is very much like a gateway program to a lot of our programs in terms of how we reach audience, how we discover a lot of filmmakers um, who ultimately end up in some of these other opportunities, but um, but a majority of opportunities are also open to anybody to apply to. So- um, Yeah, like what? You, uh, STARS, anybody can submit to our STARS writers program. Anyone can submit to new narratives. Um, anybody can apply to our high school student mentorship program. Anybody can apply to our college membership program. Um, our best of awards program, unfortunately, is only for people who are alum of the festival. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to announce uh, new grant funding this year, um, which will go public uh, in memory of Anthony Rulin, the late film producer. Um, so there's a lot of different things that we do throughout the year. We have educational panels every month. So, um, this last month we had a panel on shorts to features um with jesse atlas who just did uh, a saban films feature with bruce willis um we had hannah lux davis who uh is a really really well-known music video director who did ariana grande's thank you next um yeah, so we have these kind of intimate education and connection resources every month and to kind of go a bit deeper in the festival which on the surface you know, it feels very much like a public event. Um, We actually have a mini market leading up to the festival for the filmmakers who are selected. So again, trying to bridge them with the people that can be difficult for them in their career to connect with. Um, We have a media program called Stage 5 that's part of the festival with Movie Maker Magazine, um, where every single filmmaker who's part of the festival gets an interview um, and written uh, um, story on MovieMaker.com. So, There's kind of a lot of stuff that we do that are even adjacent to these a lot of a lot of these programs that aren't necessarily promoted uh, to the public.
1: That is so smart of you to do for the Movie Maker magazine, because it's difficult for a new filmmaker to come into a festival, know how to navigate it and know that they're supposed to be promoting their material or how to promote that material.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things. So we we started New Filmmakers LA in 2007. Um, and we launched that program in 2009. And when we first launched it, uh, we actually had another layer of it. We had a, a partnership with LAFCO, which is the LA film critics association. And so each month, a guest critic from many different publications would actually, um, host the episode and interview the filmmaker. Um, we quickly found out that it was challenging with competing publications to have guest critics. Um, due to exclusivity so we moved to a hosted model Um, but yeah it's been going strong ever since and movie maker has been a huge huge supporter of that and um, yeah the filmmakers definitely are able to use that to help them um, in the future with fundraising with securing distribution it's it's a really great tool as you said to be able to walk away from a festival and have that um, piece of you know premium press coverage.
1: I want to dive a little bit into this enigma that a lot of new filmmakers find distribution to be. So can you walk us through the steps of, say, filmmaker A, um, let's say Amanda. Amanda brings uh, her first feature film into your festival. What then are the steps that are taken by you and by her into the distribution path?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we have relationships at pretty much all of the streamers. And um, if you go to our website now, actually, and you click on our programs page, um, you'll see our best of NFMLA awards, which, uh, spoiler alert, but this won't be published. It's it's It'll be published in uh, Variety tomorrow. There will be an exclusive announcing this year's nominees. Um, but you're getting a sneak peek, at least you two, because you Yay. can see it- website tonight. Um, and you'll see our jury there and that will give you an idea for the breadth of types of professionals, including those in distribution, um, who, you know, we have relationships with, we book upward of a hundred different executives a year to be part of these festivals. So we're in constant communication. Um, with people in, in, and typically these are the most popular spaces, distribution, management, uh, people at agencies, and people in development. Those are sort of the key areas that our filmmakers consistently want access to. Um, so to be honest, you will hear a lot of people tell you that have played their feature with us. I got distribution because of someone I met at New Filmmakers. Um, I will say it's super important that the filmmaker communicate their desire to the festival, um, because most of the feature filmmakers who we've been able to help secure distribution, they've specifically asked for help securing distribution. Um, and seven out of 10 times we're able to help with that. Um, there are multiple ways that it's been done. And sometimes ways that it's been done with people at our festival, not through us years later. So it's really interesting. Like, you know, sometimes we'll take a film that asks for help, like I Gilbert by Adrian Martinez. And, you know, we'll let him know, Hey, this is, these are the three or four companies that we're going to go to. Have you gone to any of these? Um, And, you know, we'll go to three or four and he'll, get two offers in our case, you know, he got two offers and he ultimately went with distribution from that. Um, Now here's another story. (laughs) We, we had Shaz Bennett play Alaska as a drag with us in 2018. And so in 2019, it was part of our best of awards and the whole point of best of awards is a follow-up to get visibility for filmmakers who have sort of been the top of our program season of the you know year before in front of industry professionals again and when you look at the jury list you'll see it's 20 it's i'm sorry 36 jurors so it's an incredible number of people that were getting eyeballs on content from Mm
1: -hmm.
2: netflix was part of that jury in 2019 there was no distribution offered to alaska as a drag cut to the pandemic in the fall of 2020 and Array releasing acquires the film. And then it goes to be an exclusive on Netflix a few months later. So you you never really know like what's going to be the thing that leads to that opportunity. Even sometimes when a person who's representing acquisitions at the company has been on a jury and has seen a film, it may be someone else or something else that leads that person to believe that, that film you know is right at that moment or it's just right at that moment. I think in you know in that time of 2020, the film speaks for itself in that it's a great film. But I think in that that time in 2020, I think streamers were a lot more hungry for content and it gave independent filmmakers a greater opportunity who had a feature film ready uh, to go. On one of these platforms so definitely um you know to go back to the core of your question uh i think there's various ways there's you can go with companies like gravitas ventures that will help to get your feature acquired by uh, a direct party like an amazon or a netflix or a hulu uh, another great company that does that is vertical entertainment um Freestyle, digital media, these are some of like the ones we've seen acquire films that have placed them on some of the major platforms. Um, alternatively, you can go directly to a streamer if you are able to, you know, if you have a connection to someone at the company, generally they won't look at anything, even if it's finished material, unless, you know, it's played at a festival they know, or you know, someone who knows that person, or you have some kind of connection to them um another thing that i have seen over the years is depending on the language of the film um sometimes you know hbo might pick it up but they'll only pick it up for latin america or they'll only pick it up for the middle east so that's another thing to kind of think about in terms of your audience for the film sometimes based on language other times based on you know a certain market that somebody wants to attract to their channel or to their platform. So, you know, some people may be looking for Latin, a bit larger share of the Latin X audience. Some people may be looking for a larger share of a black audience. Some people may be pushing into a certain market, which is reflective of a a certain demographic. So I think there's a lot of ways to go about it. Um, Yeah. So I hope, hope that's helpful.
1: Well, Follow up question. Cause I know people are going to want to know when's the next deadline to submit.
2: There's never a deadline. You can always submit. It's always open.
1: Rolling. They call that a rolling deadline.
2: Yeah. So we program every month and every month we have approximately 15 to 18 films, generally only one feature a month. So the rest is, is generally a lineup of shorts. Um, and right now, Boyana, who is our programming director, is programming for July. So we're generally about two and a half to three months in advance of, of what we're currently programming. And we've generally got a queue of about 200 films that are ahead of anything that's submitted. Um, but we go through you know 200 films in about a month um, in terms of what we review. So it's kind of like if someone submitted now, they'd be considered for anything uh, within the next six months.
0: It's still a pretty fast turnaround for submitting yeah. to like screening and potentially getting connected with distributors or other people.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's and cool. you know, that's, that's another thing that I'd say is kind of like, you know, worth checking out on the website is For any of our monthly festival programs um we publish like a list of the executives who are participating for that month so it's a good opportunity for any filmmaker even if they're not playing with us to kind of look and see who has indicated they're willing to at least explore learning about newer voices and new talent um generally you know industry won't participate if they're not keen on the idea of either, you know, offering advice to or learning about um, that community of newer content creators or maybe content creators who have been creating for a long time but haven't quite hit at that commercial level yet. Um, so it's a, good, it's a really a good resource for anybody.
0: I have a question about... Um your partners and the people who were offering insight and feedback and even the distributors you've mentioned coming on board into your ecosystem. How difficult was it initially to get people to donate their time and their insight and to want to connect with these new filmmakers and how has that changed over the course of your tenure with the company, if it has at all?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I think, look, it's, it's, again, it kind of goes back to a lot of the people who, work in this industry get a lot of I think inquiries from a lot of people and I think they get asked to do a lot of things I think they get asked to look at a lot of things to watch a lot of things to read a lot of things to show up to a lot of things and I think most people who have a job in entertainment they have pursued that career because they're passionate about entertainment I think you know, look, I think a lot of them want to say yes to everything, but also have to have a little bit of work-life balance. And so I think I'm not so sure that it's been that executives have wanted to be a gatekeeper in the past. I think it's it's been more of like a bandwidth thing. I will say that there's definitely been more of an emphasis uh, on diversity and inclusion and new voices. And I think people are maybe building a bit more awareness around that. At least people, you know, in the lower, not in the lower side of, of studios and networks, but I I think there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in terms of where the money is going. (laughs) Um, But I think it's important that people are at least paying attention and showing up now more than ever before. Um, But I think the way that the current landscape is structured for film financing is not, is not necessarily on indie filmmakers uh, in indie filmmakers, best interest. Um, I think you see like a lot of, you know, releases coming out um, from well-known filmmakers with really large budgets. And I just don't think you see a lot coming out with smaller budgets by newer filmmakers anymore. Um, and I think that's unfortunate, but yeah, I think there there's at least a time investment and a education investment and a getting to know investment that, it is stronger than it was before so you found it it's getting
0: easier to say hey we're we're you know we have this great um community of new filmmakers netflix come and check them out and people are more willing to maybe than they once were
2: um yeah i think it look i think it's a lot of advocacy
1: mm-hmm.
2: um and i think it's definitely a lot of relationship building on the organization's part and i think it's a lot of making sure the organization does have what it says it has right so you know promising new voices and great content and you know people who are really ready for that opportunity and i think the framing of that is really important and you know every month out of our 15 to 18 or so films There's, they're not all filmmakers that are ready to be represented by CAA. They're not all filmmakers that are ready, you know, for the best management company in town. They're not all filmmakers that have a project that's ready for Netflix. But I think they're all people that show promise. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're all filmmakers who have made something really impressive. Um, And at the end of the day, that mix of people with the executive, I think, gives them an idea of the type of creatives that we have in the festival and the array of creatives that we have in a festival. And I think that's what keeps them coming back.
1: I don't know if you can answer this, but what's a good benchmark by which to define when, when a filmmaker is ready, when a screenwriter is ready that you're seeing that, Oh yes, CA, yes. Netflix now is the time.
2: Well, I think that's hard to say because we've had, you know filmmakers who have many filmmakers who have only made shorts, who have gone in and sold a show to Netflix, who have gone in and you know directed feature films for Saban Films, and who have sold pilots to Disney Channel, and 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 I think a lot of those instances filmmakers who have gone and gotten signed to CAA on a short. I think a lot of those instances are a balance of, you know, what they've done showing promise, but also the executive or the creative really connecting with that person, seeing something interesting and what that person has to say in general, and having a sense that they want to work with that person. I think that's critically important because the most talented people that I foresaw. <laughs> going in and selling their pilot in like pitch sessions weren't necessarily the ones who sold their pilot. Sometimes it was the other ones who were talented, but also had a lot in common with an executive or, you know, built a great relationship or showed, you know, a lot more excitement about how they pitched their project. So I think there are a lot of variables. Um, at the end of the day, creativity, I think is going to win out, but I've seen it happen a lot of different ways.
1: Something that you said that Angel and I have been emphasizing on the podcast, and that has been, um, emphasized to us through the Sundance collab thing that we did is yes, know how to pitch your story, know the ins and outs, practice it, have peer review, et cetera, but pitching yourself knowing your own story so that you can make those pivotal connections with the people in the room that maybe it's not this project, but they like you and you know how to like pitch yourself in a room. Like what is your background? What is it that makes you unique from everyone else that you can, you can bring to a festival that you can bring to a pitch meeting that you can bring to, et cetera, et cetera.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've seen it so many times where, you know, somebody is, somebody had a a job tutoring and she tells this story so I can tell it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. She did HBO Access, the program, as a writer. Um, she actually used a short that she got funding from New Filmmakers Alley to make as her entry for showing what she could do for that program. Um, following the program, they set her up with a meeting with... Uh, at one of the showrunners of the new uh, Gossip Girl reboot, and she didn't really, she didn't really know what she was doing in terms of saying telling the story at the time. But you know, they asked her like, "What's your story of coming to L.A.?" And she's like, "Well, I finished NYU grad school, and I came to L.A. and I want to be an actor, and that was my goal was to be an actor." And quickly I learned I had to create opportunities for myself. So I started writing, but then I realized I needed a way to make a lot more money if I was only going to be writing.
1: Yep. And I
2: took my NYU degree and I started tutoring for like a hundred dollars an hour to these really wealthy kids in Bel Air. And that sparked the showrunner's interest. He's like, oh, tell me about the tutoring thing. Mm-hmm. and And it turned into this conversation like what what did it was kind of stuff you saw when you were tutoring? Like what did these kids say? And it turned into you we're gonna staff you on the show because we love that you've been in this real world scenario with ultra wealthy kids, you know? Oh, so yeah, like there is that thing where did she have any experience writing on the TV show? Nope mm-hmm. guess what. Mm-hmm. Now she's writing on Gossip Girl. And then that led to her, writing on Dynasty, the CW show. Um, So,
1: And what's great about her pitching, how she pitched it, is she landed on NYU, New York City, uh, struggling artist, making my own way. Like these are all points of connection that somebody could pick up. Like, oh yeah, I've experienced being poor as an artist. I can relate to you. But she didn't know which one would have landed.
2: Well, and what's funny about it, is she kind of she i forgot how she calls it now but she's branded herself now like a certain writer of a certain background of expertise like <laughs> of her of her calling for these types of upper echelon like shows or you know <laughs> it, it's funny but like she she also laughs about it she's like that's like how i come in the room to like get staff now you know that's cool yeah that's so it's interesting I uh,
1: to, go ahead, Angel.
0: I wanted to ask a little bit about your personal background, Larry, um, how you found yourself involved with this organization and um, what uh, what, you, what you did coming up, um, your experiences in the entertainment industry because I know you've produced quite a bit. Um, what's your story for getting involved in all this?
2: Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I'll try to give you the, the quickest version of it that I can. So I was born in Michigan Um, so I really did not have any connection to arts or entertainment whatsoever. Um, my family does not have jobs in anything related to the arts. Um, and I knew at a really young age, I wanted to be in New York or LA and work in entertainment from the time I could remember. Um, so when I was 16, I moved to New York city. Um, I graduated high school at 16. I got emancipated. And I wow started working in print and voiceovers and commercials and whatever I could in front of the camera to make a living. And I was really fortunate that I got a manager and agent right away um, before I even knew really what I was doing. Like I made that happen because I was very curious and I did research and I sent a lot of emails like 16 years old. Um, and I just, I think like my first week in New York, like, they're like, you're going on a casting. I'm like, Oh, what do I do? And they're like, just, just go. You'll, you'll figure it out. And like, within a week I made $3,000 from a booking that I got. and Like for me at 16, like moving to New York, I was like, what I'm getting paid $3,000 for a day. That's amazing. You know?
0: Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, so I did that for (laughs) two years. And then I moved to LA and I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this as like a career, this in front of the camera thing. And then I started uh, producing with someone who I met at the management company that then represented me for on-screen stuff. They had a production company, division of the management company as well. And I started producing independently and he was like, hey, we should start doing things together. Um, And there was a a short film that had played at Sundance and I think Tribeca uh, called Control. And that short film had Tony Hale, who at the time was really well known for Arrested Development. Mm -hmm. And it had Zach Levi, who was known for Chuck at the time. And that filmmaker was a first-time filmmaker um, named Rob Curbison. And so we licensed the short um, to pitch it as a pilot. We used the short as a pilot to pitch it as a series. Oh, cool. Um, and we ended up making an NBC show with that um, an entire season, which was really great. Um, we recast Zach Levi with Steve Howey um, from Shameless and uh, Tony Hale played the character that he played in the short um and that kind of led uh a whole business model for us of licensing short form content to make it uh in series format um all from short films so we did a show with anthony anderson um which was a comedy central original called matumbo goldberg also with a short filmmaker uh who was nominated for an oscar uh Rob Perlstein we made another show which was a short that went to Sundance based on a short called Fact Checkers Unit that we did for NBC we did season 2 for MTV um and these were all scripted um and then after a while of doing that we started getting into the unscripted space producing um and ultimately a lot of these shows had sponsors um, so, you know, with NBC, for example, in control, it was sponsored by Coca-Cola and Nestle. Um, and so ultimately through doing that for so many years, it led to us doing some commercials, um, and some short films with, with pretty major talent. So we did a series of Samsung commercials for, uh, with James Franco in them. And then we did a short film with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, which was sponsored by Samsung, um, and so, yeah, it's, it, it was pretty, it was a pretty wild ride. Um, but simultaneously at 20, I was looking for a community to really connect with in LA. Um, something where I could experience festivals the way I had in New York, um, you know, going to the, I think the second ever Tribeca when I was living in New York, um, going to the Gen Art Film Festival, which doesn't exist anymore the Havana film festival in New York city. I was going to these things at like 16, 17 and 18. Um, yeah. And so I started this nonprofit, um, with nothing really. And it just kind of grew over time. It's very cool. That's a, that's a great story, man.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like, it reminds me of, um, Walt Whitman.
0: <laughs> oh, and, and how does it's, it remind you of Walt Whitman, Lee? Because
1: please? because Walt Whitman moved to New York when he was 14 to be um, a journalist.
2: Mm, that's oh. awesome.
1: Yeah. And I, yeah.
2: <laughs> that's cool. I didn't know yeah. about Walt Whitman. <laughs> everybody, everybody in my family was like, you're crazy. And I was like, yeah, maybe, but I'm doing it. At what point were they like, hey, maybe you're not so crazy? Mm hmm. I think they still are like, you're crazy, but you
1: know, <laughs> I think
2: now it's a good crazy instead yeah. of like, a, what is he doing? You know?
1: Yeah. Now it's accepted. You've yeah. come to, you've leveled to accepted crazy. Well, I think they're just
2: like, who does that? You know, like, and I was like, well, I'm doing it and I'm just doing, and I, I just think they, I just think they didn't get it. You know?
1: I mean, that's a good. That's a good lesson for anybody because it's so hard to advocate for yourself when everybody is telling you no, when you're trying to pursue a creative endeavor Mm -hmm. and that you just have to find it in you to have the belief that this is the path.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like filmmakers, you know, like whether you're a writer or you're a director or you're a producer, you're pretty much like Always starting your next thing, you know? And that means that you're always trying to create new opportunities for yourself, whether it's a project that you're writing or a show that you're trying to get staffed on as a writer or a director or a feature that you want to direct that you're trying to help put together or you're a producer trying to raise money. It's kind of like you're always trying to reinvent yourself and kickstart your next thing. And I think if you don't have that spirit of mm-hmm. go get it, go get it, go get it. As I mentioned in the beginning, it's just so competitive. It's almost like you have to have that curiosity. You have to, you know, want to be a, a, a creative collaborator. You have to want to really want it all the time or somebody else will take it, you know?
1: I want to piggyback off of what you're saying and ask you, what are three things that you would recommend for a new filmmaker to get noticed? Like, what are proactive things that they can be doing?
0: If you want to find out Larry's answer to Leah's question, join us for next week's episode where we finish our chat with Larry LeBeau. For both Leah and myself, thanks for listening. Cheers from Hollywood. If you're on the fence about subscribing, know that a portion of all subscription fees go toward the nonprofit Young Storytellers, raising voices one story at a time.